Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to is, Look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just it's, they're just... There's, <laughs> Good racing, I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars for another week as we do an editor's special. Joining us from F1 Racing Australia and, of course, the Great Race magazine, it's Steve Normald. I, I think I've got that wrong, Steve. Sorry about that. Normoyle. Normoyle. Well, we'll get there eventually. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Not too bad, as I'm sure. From Velocity Magazine, the editor-in-chief is Matt Koch. Matt, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. And, of course, uh, it's an interesting time in motorsport and motorsport publications, but more particularly for the headlining act in Australia, Supercars. Now, both of you guys are in a position where you have to work out how much, you know, how, how many column inches, how much press you are able to give this series compared to all the other series that are out there. Now, obviously, if your title's F1 Racing Australia, Steve, there are not going to be too many supercar stories in that. But then with all the other Chevron and uh, Next Media publications, you are balancing up quite a few supercar articles per year. Yeah, that, that's true. I guess from our perspective, um, our, our titles are probably sort of much more specialised in terms of, of, of uh, category. So we've got, obviously, Formula One has pretty much got zero V8 supercar content in it. And uh, something like a, our V8 Bathurst, or Bathurst, the great race magazine, is, is obviously one, pretty much 100% V8 supercars. So, um, yeah, we tend to sort of end up in, into, into genres of magazines where I know that, that obviously, others like Auto Action and, and, uh, and Matt's operation um, is, is much more across the board. Matt, how do you balance what you know people are going to turn to up against what the motorsport industry is as a whole? Supercars is only probably 3% of the participation rate of the entire motorsport industry. It's tough, it really is, because there is a balancing act between delivering what people want and what people expect and delivering... Yeah, there are some awesome stories below V8 Supercars at Shannon's Nationals and everything else. So you want to give coverage to them, but from a marketing and from a business perspective, that's not going to draw the eyes of the readers as much as you know, something on Bathurst, for example. So it's a really fine balancing act, and, and what we've sort of come up with is a formula that we more or less, more or less guarantee supercar content in every issue unless something you know, completely miraculous happens. Um, but it would be foolish of us to to not run something that's either supercars or Formula One or one of those big marquee brands on the cover, because if you try and run something like a, a sports van, you're just not going to get those eyeballs that, um, that supercars draws. Mm. Steve, F F1 Racing Australia is uh, obviously part of an F1 Racing magazine network. How do you change and how do you uh, tailor that magazine for the Australian market compared to the international editions and the other countries' editions? Well, well in the case of that magazine, we're under a, a contractual um, basis to, to present basically 85% of their content and the remainder is up to us. So that gives us the opportunity to sort of tweak it and tailor it to, uh, to Australian audiences. And a lot of that is... is is also just re, you know removing the, uh, the, the the British cultural references that, that people won't understand here. So um, we've we, we just sort of come up with stuff that's relevant to Australia um, and 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 try and and try and tailor it within those within those boundaries. But essentially, it's a I mean it's an international series, so it, there's only a certain level of, of of 
Australianisation of it that you can do before 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 the thing becomes irrelevant. So um, probably you know that percentage is probably about about right um, for what you know for what for what, we, what we would change, um, and uh, and the rest of it's just you know what's going on in the world of Formula One mm. with uh, of course the great race. You've your you and your company have been covering that race now for so long. Where's do you find the balance between now and the history? And is there you know a a percentage that you need to balance between what people remember as the good old days and what they're talking about as the current era? Yeah, it's always a difficult one because you've got to sort of think of of, of age groups and. Um, when I think of a magazine, I always try and think of, of, of it as, as, as kind of like a friend. Um, but, you know, you, you're trying to balance up the, the needs of, of, of very young fans with the, with the desires of, of older people that, that perhaps are looking at the past with, with rose-coloured glasses. Um, I guess when you come to a thing like Bathurst, it's, it's an event that's sort of... The whole context of it is, is its history. And so that's always going to be a, a major part of it. Um, I guess it's sort of... The, the, the whole retro scene in, in motorsport these days is, at the moment, is, is huge. And Bathurst and, the, and the, 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 I guess, the sort of growth of historic touring car racing in its different forms um, is, re, is reflecting that. Um, and that sort of feeds its way back into into things things such as that, these kinds of magazines. And, and if you look around, if you look at our, other, our sister publication, Australian Muscle Car, it, it sort of delves into that sort of area and, and, it's, and it's enormously successful. So in the end of the day, you've, you've got to try and cater for an audience. Um, and and this is sort of, you know, you've got to try and, and think of, 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 of what does the audience want. For instance, in a, in a historical sense, we've gone very heavily with Peter Brock for uh, for this magazine to um, to tie into the the 10th year anniversary of of his of his death, and um, you know that's sort of that's that's something that we think that that will be of be of interest to readers, and and I don't I wouldn't think that we'll be the only ones that will be doing that, um, but uh, I guess if you look at it from another perspective, it's it's kind of not particularly relevant content because we're talking about a star that that's died ten years ago, and and basically his era was really probably ended in the late eighties in terms of his um, Brock as a competitive force. So, uh, but I guess Brock is a is a is a different phenomenon mm. altogether. Mm. Matt, your publication much more recent. How do you deal with uh, that balance of history and and uh, Current, um, current storage. What we do at the side of each uh, year and then ongoing throughout the year, we'll we'll come up with a, a structure of the content for each magazine. So we've got some some broad topics that that we'll cover in each magazine going up until about November next year. At this point, um, obviously there are key things like Bathurst. You have to do a uh, a Bathurst preview and review. So there's um, you know, sort of two months done, and then you've got end of year reviews and uh, season previews. So that takes up sort of three, four, five months worth of uh, of content just on current stuff. It's then a case of what's happening through the rest of the year. Do you run a special? We, you know, for example, when uh, when Jules Bianchi died, we we ran a, a piece on uh, on him, and uh, it, it's staying current with what's happening. And a lot of that then reflects back to, as Steve said, some of the historical content. You look at Bathurst coming up, uh, 10th anniversary of Peter Brock. You know, as uh, as Steve is, we're we're running some content on Peter Brock for our in our Bathurst issue. Um, there are just some really obvious nods to the past that we can run. Mm. Um, and then also something interesting comes up because what we try to do with the Velocity is not just present content that's out there and, and easily accessible. We're trying we try and do something that's interesting and, and not known. We ran a cover of Jackie Stewart and Jack Brabham um, from the 1970 um, season a couple of months ago, and that was based on content that came out of uh, Von Torenak, the Brabham designer. So you know, that stuff that's 
40 years old, but it's a story that had never been told anywhere, as far as we can tell before. Um, and it was really interesting as well. Um, so it's it's getting content that's going to be interesting. There's, there's also going to be something that's relevant to today in it as well. Um, Jack Braben being Australian, he's always relevant. Um, so it, it's, it's going through that. And then, of, of course, you've got to produce content that people want to read. Hmm. If you produce content you know, really exciting about Tatsio and Uvalari, you know, I dare say I might hit 2% of the market. And do you have to change your your release date of the magazines based on when Bathurst or the Australian Grand Prix is? Do you have to change your publishing around for that, or is it just too hard to do that in the industry to be able to be that flexible? The number one thing with, with magazines is you've got to be consistent and predictable. People expect a magazine first Tuesday of the month or every other Thursday in Auto Action's case. Um, you know, you, you've got to hit those markers. As soon as you're late once, it's very easy then to be late again and get lazy. And as soon as you start getting lazy, people will think, well, you're lazy, then they lose faith in you. And then you start driving the audience away. So you, you have to hit those publication dates. But that, you know, if you miss one, you may as well pack up and go home. Um, you, you yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. The other thing with that too is that um, if you miss it, you miss a, uh, an on-sale day. People quickly forget, or they just think you've closed down. Mm. Yes. I, I guess the the problem is if Bathurst is the second week in October and your magazine doesn't come out until the second, uh, let's say, Wednesday in October, uh, you could be the second Wednesday in October the week after the race. In which case you probably planned your... Uh publication schedule wrong. Well, we should take a break here on Inside Supercars. We'll talk about supercars when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two laps to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Steve Newell from the... V8, uh, sorry, from the Great Race magazine, which I imagine is going to be on sale fairly soon, and also Matt Kosh from Velocity magazine, which of course is vmag.com.au, and supercars in this country, Steve, where do you see them at? Well, right now they're at a, they're at a, a sort of perplexing position. Um, it's 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 a really contradictory situation because if you look at what's happening on the on the track. Uh, it's it's probably the best, most competitive, most vibrant season in, in not only in the history of V8 supercars or supercars now, as they call it, but, but probably the entire Australian Touring Car Championship. We've had, I think, from the first 13 races, there were 10 different winners. Now, if you extrapolate that out, that's if that trend continued, you'd have sort of, you know, three quarters of the field would, would win a race before the end of the year. Uh, that's That's amazing. Um, the racing has been the, the, it's predicting a winner has been really difficult. The racing has been good. Um, the, the, the the level of oh, I haven't had a look at the TV figures, but the the crowds are good. The level of corporate interest is all there. Um, it's working exactly the way a good parity formula should. Um, costs are still high, but they're but they're probably a lot lower than they would have been if it was a you know more of a laissez faire type type of a series in a, in a technical sense uh, so it's 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 ticking all the boxes and it's kicking all the goals but if you look at it from from the other side it's there's all sorts of issues going on with it we've got 
uh, a regulation change to phase in turbo V6s, which is not happening anywhere near as quickly um, as planned. They're struggling to get manufacturer interest. Uh, and, um, you know, we've, we've got manufacturers leaving. So there's there's real issues in terms of, of where it's going to go behind the scenes. But in terms of the actual product, it's it's you couldn't hope for it to be better. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite contradictory. Matt, where does that leave us? Well, I think where the sport is heading is actually a pretty strong position. You know, parity formulas invariably bring with them economies of scale um, because there's consistency among the cars and, and all the bits under the skin. And ultimately, you know, beauty is only skin deep. But as long as we can recognise the cars as, you know, Ford or Holden or Volvo or Nissan or whatever it might be, um, you know, it's going to look right on television. It's going to look like, look right in magazines. Um, only the anoraks among us uh, are really going to understand the technical stuff underneath and, and be too bothered by that. And if you look at NASCAR, there's a prime example. Um, you know, they're silhouette racing cars, which is exactly the model that, uh, that we're moving to. And yes, it's painful because it's change. Um, and at the moment, given how strong everything is, it seems almost like it's unnecessary change. But we've got to look longer term. You know, we've got to look 10 years down the track. If we stay where we are now and don't move, then in 10 years' time, the industry is going to have moved on and we're going to be irrelevant. Um, and, and that's happened to series in the past as well. Mm. So it's important that we move. And I think the direction that we're going into or going towards makes a lot of sense. Whether it's the right decision remains to be seen. Only history will tell that one. But in my opinion, we're, we're going the right way. Steve, Supercars 2.0 is next year, but they've already said that in 21, we'll see version 3. Is announcing version 3 before 2 is even on the track, is that too early or is that just showing that they're planning and they're starting to do things rather than reacting to things? Well, it's either a case of that their, their planning is, is exemplary and, uh, and, and very forward-thinking or it's policy on the run. Um, I think I agree with Matt. The, the direction that they're going is, is probably the it's the right way to go. Um, when the category was born, and Tony Cochran stood up and said, "We're going to call it V8 Supercars," I, at the time, thought that is a mistake. You can't call it V8 because there's going to be a backlash at some point um, in terms of you know the environmental issue and, and, and fuel consumption and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be sort of seen as gas guzzlers and out of touch. I wouldn't have thought it would have taken 16 years, or actually more than that, probably 20 years, but uh, but it has arrived, and um, the, 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 the category has to sort of bring itself up to a point of, of more relevance to, to what's going on in, in the wider world. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the way that they're going... I think that the technical mix of the cars is it's probably pretty good. The... Um, they all keep whinging about how much it costs, but if you look at what they are, it was a space frame chassis with a, with a transaxle, and, and I mean it should work. It should be they they should be, be cheap to run, and everything should be sort of reasonably uh, long 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 lasting and, and, and easy to easy to uh, to repair. Um, and then it's just a case of, of getting your, your body stop body shapes right, and uh, and your engine parity sort of somewhere somewhere close and off you go. So, I mean, the, the foundations are there for, for something that can be ongoing and, and successful, but it's it's really a question of, is, is it going to be a manufacturer-supported series in the, in the future? Uh, and if it's not, is it sustainable, at least on, on the level that it is at the moment? Um, the model that, that Holden are talking about into the future with, with uh, Triple Eight, Basically, supplying all of all of the Holden cars is is interesting in that it's sort of that's a little bit like the GT3 model, um, and if that's if that works, that might be a way of, of attracting more manufacturers to be involved in, on a basis that that whilst you wouldn't make a profit or break even, if if you if you're selling cars um, to other people to be involved that have got their own sponsorships. It might be a, a fairly inexpensive way to be involved, but um, obviously that's all yet to be 
yet to be sort of demonstrated, but uh, yeah, it's, that could be an interesting move. I, I do wonder whether whether the the, uh, the Chiefs are looking at trying to to, um, to to establish the series as less manufacturer dependent and more more sort of general general sponsorship dependent. But mm. anyway, we'll we'll see. Well, we'll take a break and then we'll pick up that point on the other side here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back, and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Matt Koch and Steve Normoyle. And Matt, following on Steve's point there before the break, where we need to look at this series as if it's got no manufacturer involvement, and uh, the mention was a, a GT3 model. Now, whilst I'm personally sick of comparisons between Vert Supercars or Supercars and GTs, you're intimately involved with the GT series in Australia, so you are probably well-placed to uh, advise on how you see some of these similarities, particularly with what Steve was saying in regards to all the Holdens coming out of one factory, all of the Hordes coming out of the other factory, all the Nissans coming out of the third factory, and then brand, you know, Y, Z and H all coming from other teams and then being distributed to make up the 26, possibly 28-car uh, grid in the future? Yeah, so I do a lot of work with uh, Australian GT if you're at a racetrack. It's typically my voice bellowing out. Um, but yeah, the, the GT model globally is, as you say, each company tends to produce their own car and then they sell it on a customer basis. They've got a, uh, a stockpile of spare parts and uh, they're working on developing the new cars, the teams don't have to worry about that development. They just buy the upgrade bits if and when they choose. Um, and that's proved quite successful. It isn't a, I guess, a professional model in that generally it's gentleman drivers going and buying cars and then running them for themselves. It's not um, a case of, you know, you get uh, Ferrari going and running their own car. The, the GT side of things doesn't tend to support that. Um, mostly because as soon as you do that, costs go through the roof. Um, because you've then got Ferrari versus Audi versus Aston Martin, everything else. But from the manufacturer's point of view, it makes a lot of sense because you can then control development, spare parts, you know, your inventory of spares, all, all that sort of stuff um, much more easily. And, and teams then just have to come to you. So you almost become a, um, you know, a warehouse as much as a manufacturer. Um, the big question there is um, balance of performance or parity. How do you get each and every car to be within an envelope of performance? And that's something that sports car racing has always struggled with. Just look at um, the Ford GTs at, at Le Mans. They suddenly went like three seconds a lot quicker when it came to the race. Um, there are other problems at, um, at Spa 24 Hour as well. So it's making sure that parity or balanced performance process is accurate if that's the model you choose to go down. Because if you don't get that right, very quickly you see one particular manufacturer or brand or driver running away with things. And, and when that happens, if you just look at Formula One back in the Schumacher era or even in the Vettel era, you know that tends to turn people off the sport. What they want to see is competitive racing. What we've got at the moment is fantastically competitive. You know, 10 different winners in 13 races or, or whatever it is at the moment. That's, that's phenomenal. We need to keep that and whatever happens around it, you know, that's what we need to protect because that's what's going to keep, you know, this red versus blue uh, football match style mentality 
that is so strong in supercars. That's what we need to protect more than anything else, in my opinion. And I need to ask Steve: Do you see a? Do you have a dissenting view on why this is a very dangerous way to go down, uh, a dangerous path to go down? Because it's very different to how Australian motorsport has run over the years. Uh, do, you, do you mean in terms of a, of a customer car type? Yeah, like uh, almost locking in a customer franchise system. Um, not really. I mean, it's 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 probably not too too different from what they're already doing. Um, you know, they they I mean, they've got a they can make their own chassis, but there's within very strict parameters, and there's a lot of control components, and and within the within the Holden teams. They've they've already been dividing up a lot of manufacturing stuff. So you know, one team will, will make certain uh, drive line parts, or and another team will make suspension parts, and they share them around a bit. So um, it's not too too different from um, from where we are. Uh, but the parity issue. I'm amazed. Matt, Matt was saying about uh, the problems that GT3 have got. I sort of look at GT3 the other way around and and, and, and marvel at the, at how 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 successful they've been to create a to create the, the parity that they have, given that the cars uh, are so different in terms of, of their engines and, and and everything else. There, at least with with supercars, you've got well, I guess in the future the engines will be different, but at the moment you've got the same basically the, the same kinds of engines. Um, and everything else is the same on the car, so it's uh, it's a much easier, much easier thing to do. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that the other issue I think Matt, Matt sort of touched on it too was the, um, the the issue of 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 red versus blue, or, or just just the the the, uh, the football style following of, of the fans to to different brands, um, and that's that's something that. Obviously, in this country, something like GT3 doesn't have, and, and no other carry does have it. It's all it's sort of rooted in, in in the history of Bathurst and, and the whole Holden versus Ford thing, which is not particularly relevant anymore. But even so, you've got... I was interested to see with the, the, the announcement yesterday of, of um, Holden Racing Team being transferred across to Triple Eight. A lot of fans are, uh, are unhappy about that. And they see it as a sort of a betrayal of um, uh, you know, removing one, one like a, like a like taking one football team and replacing it with another, and uh, which is an interesting way of looking at things. But uh, I'd say it's sort of it's a it's a distorted way of looking at things. But if if people have got that sort of emotion invested in it, you've you've got to pay attention to it. But yeah, it's it's interesting because people follow the drivers. And to a lesser extent, they follow uh, the brands, and to a lesser extent, they follow the teams. Um, and uh, how that will develop, you know, these teams are, in a sense, their own brand names. But um, we're seeing that, that that there's a certain level of 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 investment in emotional investment in the Walkinshaw operation in regards to to its sort of in, its. Attachment to to Bolton Racing Team, and and you know people are sort of feeling for them, uh, as and, and and thinking of them as as the traditional Holden operation, and, and this is an outrage and a betrayal. So it's yeah, it's very interesting to see people react that way. Mm. It would have been more interesting to see what the reaction would have been like if they just decided to, well, we're going to end our relationship with Walkinshaw, and we're not going to put that HRT brand anywhere. I think that would have uh, would have caused uh, uh, you know uh, as big a mourning potentially as uh, any other well as big a mourning as uh, the death of any other superstar because that would have ended the brand and possibly ended the uh, manufacturer's relationship with the fans as well so it'll be an interesting one to see where that pans out a break and more here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, 
Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And, uh, of course, Steve Normal. And, uh, guys, where is motorsport going in Australia in the general sense? We we have seen this huge explosion of competitors in GT racing. We've, uh, we're just continually seeing open wheel racing being either nobbled by the mothership or just not having any interest from the public. And then we've got uh, racing series starting at an alarming rate, potentially. Plus, uh, the state series all seem to be uh, splintering and more and more state racing of cars of, you know, various types and makes running in smaller and smaller numbers. Steve? Uh, yep. Um, well, yeah. Look, it's. I think overall, it's. It's not a, not a terrific situation at the moment because we've got a lot of people at the higher ends of the sport spending a lot of money. Um, it's uh, there's a terrible lot of wealthy people in, in this country at the moment going motor racing in all different different forms. But um, you're right about the splintering of categories and, and the, the 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 arrival of new categories. Um, there are that many categories now that, that it's hard to keep track. Uh, it, it, it amazes me that there are enough people to seemingly to, to contest them. But open wheeler racing is probably never has never been in a worse state, and that's a real problem. Um, I think just from a probably from a from a from an image perspective, the V8 thing has been um, detrimental to the type of motorsport that we have in that everything seems to be V8-centric and it's got to be V8 this and V8 that. Um, really, there should be... Open-wheeler racing is, is, is a much more logical thing for people to be doing at, at lower levels um, for lots of reasons, but it's just not happening. Um, we've had camps trying to basically impose Formula 4 uh, on the country and um, that's not worked very well so far um now that we have it we have to support it and hope that it works because if it fails we we just take another step backwards but in the meantime formula forward continues to be to be reasonably strong certainly given the, the obstacles that have been put in front of it in recent times formula three is probably is struggling but it's always been it's been struggling for a while um and uh and after that you've got uh, formula v1600 which is which is a really good formula um and it's got a you know its own its own sort of level of, of, of participants and, and probably sort of operates okay in itself but um outside of that there's uh there's not much so it's yeah look it's i i wish that that the open wheeler side of things was was stronger than it is but um i can't see that that changing anytime soon and uh I think too the the other issue we've got is that there's there's too much corporatisation of, of sort of mid range categories, um, category management of things like V8 Utes, which I guess is a good idea, but um, you know it's really sort of I mean it, it's 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 run its course and uh, and it, and, it's, and it, I think it's it'll probably be in its last year, but um, you know. The, just feel that these things are probably there's a whole range of series that are that are operating on almost a professional category management basis that probably would be better off as a much more amateur sort of deal and, and probably state based. Um, it's a very big country, and if you're just an amateur amateur racing driver doing it for fun, um, there's not a lot of joy in, in having to cart yourself all around the country to uh, to compete when you could just compete locally at. Uh, at your local events, but um, look, there's, there's where do you start and stop with all of this stuff? There's there's lots of other issues we talk about, but uh, anyway, that's uh, yeah. There's lots of challenges facing the sport. Mm. Matt, your thoughts? 
I'm of the opinion that the sport's not actually in, in that bad of health. Okay, there's a lot of different categories out there, but Cam's has sort of taken the hard decision last year with his 2020 statement to um, to axe or, or cut back some of those. Um, Formula Ford and Formula 3 obviously felt the wrath of that. But if you look at Cam's petition number, uh, participation numbers, they're up. So there's more people competing in motorsport around the country. So that that's... That's healthy, as one point. Um, and then you look at Formula Four and the way that has the reason that hasn't worked is because of the model that they've implemented. Um, and I could talk about that in detail, but that's that's probably not for this discussion. Um, and then at the other end, you've got something like Aussie race cars, where if they've got anything under forty cars, then then it's a disaster because it's hugely subscribed. Um, one of the biggest complaints that I hear when I'm wandering around various circuits is that often you'll have clashes between various state championships, Victoria and New South Wales, for example, running the same weekend, or Shannon's Nationals running the same weekend in the same state. Or every um, round of the Australian Rally Championship on the same weekend as the supercars. Exactly. There, there seems to be no uh, logical forethought going into planning these individual schedules. And, OK, that's largely up to the promoters involved, but... It's almost they need to get together and, and just plan the year a little bit better. Um, the difficulty there is circuit availability and, and everything else, um, which we don't have a lot of circuits. There's uh, one or two in the works, and hopefully they come through and give us some more options. But you know, we're a little bit hamstrung, and because we're such a big com- uh, country, travelling around, as Steve said, is hugely expensive, it's hugely time-consuming. Um, and getting youngsters in to do that, to the sport and progress them up through it is difficult as a result because they sacrifice so much education. It's not like the kids in Europe where you know they can miss a day or two here and there because it's only 50Ks up the road that they're going racing. Here, you know, it could be a thousand Ks up the road and that's that's two days sort of thing. Um, but um, I, I think on the whole, the sport's pretty, pretty healthy. I mean, most of the eight supercars teams are are in a financially strong position. Below that, I don't think the sport's any worse off than it's ever been. And the fact that the CAMS petition participation numbers are up suggests that more people are buying in. And while that might not be circuit racing, that might be um, motor cars and off-road stuff, um, you'll get some cross-pollinization of, of that um, in time as well. So I, I think the sport's looking pretty good at this point. And I mean, you know, going back to my Australian GT, you know, we've expanded threefold this year. So, you know, I think that's pretty much case in point that the sport's looking pretty good. Mm. Well, a break, and then we'll find out about the future of motorsport publishing next here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Stephen Mamora yeah, I mean, it, and it also Matt Koshin. Through the and, years, uh, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. Now, 600 miles around here is no easy task. The, uh, the, 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 the hard, hard boys copy and, uh, publishing and work for quite some time. Where do you see the future going? Inside Motorsport broadcast, community, radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside um, Supercars. If I was to have a choice, I would be hope it would be going where where match publications are going, because that's the sort of thing that, that the sport needs. It's a, a holistic coverage of, of everything that, everything that's going on, which is kind of kind of what it always used to be. But um, these days, uh, it's it's a, as I think as we, we we spoke about before, it's 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 difficult. There's there's lots of stories that can be told. Um, but it's a question of, of being able to, to get an audience for them, and um, and that's that's the the reason for the concentration of things like like Formula One coverage and, and V8 supercars. Um, but that's that's a content issue. But in terms of of, of, of publishing itself, um, we all face the same challenges that the, that the entire media industry faces at the moment. This, this is a, I think we're in a we're basically in an industrial revolution type era at the moment and um, the technology is changing so quickly that I don't think anyone really knows where we're going to be uh, in, in three or four or five years time 
in terms of, you know, will there be magazines, will there be newspapers? Um, if, if there aren't, uh, what, what will be the model for online um, consumption? You know, is it, will it be sustainable in terms of, of, a, of, a, of a business model? Uh, these are questions that um, smarter minds than us have sort of been pondering for a while. Uh, with not probably not a lot of answers, so um, yeah, it's a it's it's a difficult one, and and you know where we think it's going now. When we get to three or four years, it may be completely different. Um, I guess I'm not young, uh, but I can say that when I first saw an iPad, we, we had it had one in the office, and uh, that was whenever that was, not that long ago, and uh, myself and our and our aunt, who's younger than me, both looked at it and thought. What, what would you do with this? It's, it's like a big phone, like a big iPhone. Uh, what's the market for it? So, um, you know, we, we as uh, employees in the media, couldn't even see the future of, of, of where, where an iPad was going to go in terms of, of online publishing. So, um, assuming that he and I are not complete dunderheads, uh, you'd have to say that, that predicting where we're going to be in three, four, five years' time, uh, publishing-wise, who knows? Mm. Very hard. Matt, you have gone the opposite way to what everyone expects publishing to go. You went online, but now you're not only doing online, you've gone to a hard copy as well as an online copy. And I think three or four years ago, everyone would have expected hard copies to have gone online full-time. And I guess, Steve, you were involved in uh, Motorsport E-News and, and that publication where it was a hard copy that went electronic. Matt's gone completely opposite way, haven't you, Matt? We have, and it's quite ironic because if you asked me two years ago, uh, I would have said you're mad going into print. Um, but what I've found is that you know, there's still a desire for a physical record of some sort, and the digital world just, just can't offer that. Um, you know, digital press is great for news, uh, you know, instantly consumable coverage and information. It's fantastic for that, absolutely unbeaten. And the coverage that we get of not just motorsport, but news in general, is far better as a result. Um, unfortunately, it comes with the uh, some of the more salubrious stuff that uh, isn't of interest and gets passed off as news, but be what may. Um, but to go, you know, exclusively into print, it's it's a risk. You've got to hedge your bets because, as Steve says, no one really knows at this point which way the industry is going. Will print remain in some form? Will it die out completely? I can't see it dying out completely, but is the market that's going to remain big enough to sustain a publication? And something that's boutique-like, Velocity can probably afford to take that risk. The larger publications that have got overheads and those sorts of things, it's a far bigger risk for them um, because I've got a far bigger audience to try and cater to. Um, for us, you know, our overheads are, are basically, um, well, the cost of keeping the lights on. Um, so there's, a, there's definitely a market there for, for going into print and then it's just a case of getting that content right to cater for what people want. Um, I think the turning point will be the day that someone works out how to monetize the print world, uh, the digital world rather, because at the moment, you know, there's paywalls and all sorts of things to, to try and monetize that, and nothing's really been successful. Um, but at the same time, it's generated this, um, this notion that all this content should be free, because you can go to these various websites and get the information for free versus paying for a magazine. Um, I can't see the, the print world ever dying away completely. I can see it perhaps scaling back massively in terms of its presence on newsstands and being available for all the through websites, which is the model that the Velocity subscribes to. But I can't see it disappearing entirely. In, in fact, our own sales statistics prove that um, you know print at the moment absolutely trumps digital consumption. Mm. See, and that's something I don't think many people would have expected even you know even uh, two years ago one year ago people would have thought digital sales steve would have been outstripping um 
would have been outstripping hard copy sales for new for new magazines. Yeah, it's as as Matt said, it's it's, it's just it's really hard to know um, where where it is going to go. But I mean, I, I guess the only way you cannot make money online at the moment, as Matt was saying, is trying different paywalls and different whatevers. But uh, there's no model that's that's appeared that uh, that you can that you can you know reasonably make make money with um, without resorting to sort of uh, heavily sort of I guess if you look at well if you look at Speed Cafe that's one model that does work but in a sense it's not really a proper publishing company because it's supported by it's a PR company that's that's supported by um, a bunch of sponsors so I mean it does a fantastic job. But uh, but it's not really a, a traditional style um, motorsport news outlet, uh, even though that's exactly the role that it does perform. So uh, you know perhaps that's that's the model going into the future. But again, the technology is changing so quickly that that we just don't know. Mm. Yeah, and it's going to be: Will people want to consume an article that might be five pages with? two pages of high-quality, high-contrast pictures in that digital form? Will they have the ability to read that amount of information? Will they be interested in that sort of information, which is what a good-quality monthly uh, magazine is presenting at the moment? Guys, well, you would hope so. Hmm. You, you would hope so. Um, and that's... A, a, I mean, there's lots of theories getting around at the moment about the nature of technology today dumbing down people and attention spans sort of dropping. But uh, I think if, you know, if, if you can't get people to be interested in, in reading something in depth in a topic that they're interested in, you know, we're, we're in a really bad place just uh, as, a, as a world. Um, so, yeah, I don't think, but I mean, absolutely for sure, people have, have less, have less sort of, um, desire to, to read to read longer stuff these days I, I think the, mm. it, the world is becoming so much so much faster yep and it's well it's certainly I, I was certainly taught online 250 words is your story length and it's you're not getting much depth in that a break and then what do we expect from the enduros here on inside supercars the views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Steve Normal and also Matt Koch. And uh, Matt, the Enduros this year, who's your tip? What What are you thinking it's going to look like? It looks, on paper, like it, it's a no-brainer. I mean, Jamie Winkup and, and um, PD, Paul Gumbrell, um, that's always a strong, consistent, familiar pairing, and the way Triple A is going at the moment, it's difficult to, to bet against them. But of course, the, the four races that, uh, that make up the Enduro Series, it's more than just the drivers. There's pit stops, teamwork. Um, you know, who knows what will happen on the opening lap at Bathurst, um, and how many times have we seen that? So it's really difficult. I mean, you've got to play the percentages. And in my case, I'd, I'd go for uh, for Wink Up and Dumbrell. Um, but even the likes of you know, Mark Winterbottom and, and Chaz Mosser will, will be a threat. Um, you know, I can't see HRT being up there, but um, yeah, there's probably going to be a Smokey in there as well, like a, a Tim Slade or one of the Penske's. It's, it's been so competitive this year that, okay, yes, there's a clear favourite in my mind, but they're not a long way ahead. There, there's so many other guys in there that have got a good chance of winning, and 
they only need the dice to fall their way once or twice, and they can walk away with the Bathurst win or the Enduro Cup win at the end of it. Steve? Yeah, it's, 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 it is hard to predict. Um, I tend to think that, that Van Gisbergen is, is going to be the guy to, to chase. Uh, he is he is still prone prone to mistakes, but we're seeing that it's becoming less so, less and less so. And you, if you have a look at some of his drives in GT3, they've been really impressive. One about this 12-hour, um, he's probably just about peaking as a driver, and he's got an excellent co-driver. Great team. Uh, I think I think he'll, he he could be the one. Um, him. I'm more more towards Lowndes and Richards. Uh, I just have a feeling that Triple H's, they just seem to have got it together at the right time of the year, and I think they're going to be they're going to be hard to beat. Having said that, as Matt said, it, it, it's so close that it really could come down to to one or two teams just just jagging that 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 sweet spot that the others don't quite manage to get with their setups in in the practice sessions, and uh, and someone emerges, and that could be. Could be, you know, a whole range of different guys. Tim Slade, um, Great Jones Racing's got a really good record in terms of, you know, getting their cars right for for Bathurst. Um, DJR Team Penske, they've sort of fallen a little bit flat lately, but you never know with a team like that. Um, and, and and obviously PRA as well. So I think it's the margins are so small that it's it's difficult to even sort of, you know. I can say I think Van Gisbergen might be the might be the guy to beat, but you can't say that with any with any confidence. Mm. And uh, it, it really could come down to um, to you know, who jags jags the setup on the day. And also, too, it's, as we've seen in recent years, things can happen before the race. We've had we had Mostert's crash last year, um, and the one the year before. So um, with with uh, with Tanda, um, you know, like it's it's. It's that kind of place where uh, where things that you're not expecting to happen do happen. So, um, and I guess that's that's one of the the many reasons that we love the joint. Indeed, it is. Hey, uh, Steve, thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining us on Inside Supercars. My pleasure, Matt. Pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.